Welcome to Midday Magazine for this Thursday, the third day of November. I'm Julie Hersey. A utility pole was knocked down by a landslide in Petersburg on Monday. A team of people worked around the clock to clear debris and restore power, phone, and Internet connections. That team was made up of an emergency crew from SEPA, the Southeast Alaska Power Agency, and local utility employees. They had additional support from public works and local construction companies. Rachel Cassandra spoke with Petersburg Borough Utility Director Carl Hagerman yesterday morning before power had been fully restored to all residents. After the landslide uh, that happened uh, on Halloween afternoon, SEPA sent uh, uh, their emergency contractor, EPC. EPC stands for Electrical Power Contractor. Um, They have a line crew that comes to Southeast Alaska if we have an emergency like this. And uh, working with uh, Power and Light, Line crew started uh, work on the on the repairs to the line. They uh, worked through the night, and they had restored the uh, the SEPA line, the transmission line, um, to Petersburg, and um, we were able to uh, heat that line up. When we say heat up, we mean energize um, uh, with SEPA, and uh, we came off of diesel power. So that um, that action right there. Uh, restored power to all customers on the north side of the slide area. Um, well, not all. I shouldn't say all. There are a short, uh, a very few homes that um, were uh, unfortunately not uh, able to be incorporated into the uh, restoration process just for safety reasons to keep any any energized lines away from the slide area. We had to create some openings in the line um, for safety's sake. Um, so those those folks that are within approximately a mile of the slide area on either side have been without power since the slide. There's a lot of damage, just just small damage when the when the landslide came through. It it broke a lot of things that all needed to be replaced. Wire needed to be restrung, and uh, transformers were damaged. A lot of a lot of small things that just is time consuming to address. And uh, the the crews worked all night, you know, in 20 degree weather. Um, thankfully, it wasn't raining or snowing. Um, that helped a lot, but uh, still to have um, not only the line crews um, uh, doing various tasks to, to get the, the line back up, but um, traffic control throughout the night, the flaggers were standing there virtually, you know, uh, constantly uh, throughout the night. Let's go just go through the, the infrastructure damage that mm-hmm. uh, the landslide. So from a... Uh, property damage standpoint um, it was actually um, not that significant uh, private property uh, public infrastructure on the other hand um, took a pretty good hit um, the uh, the one pole was completely destroyed um, those poles in that area belong to SEPA the Southeast Alaska Power Agency um, they provide um, wholesale um, hydropower to Petersburg and Wrangell and Ketchikan and so that uh, uh, the agency immediately uh, was involved in, in mobilizing their emergency crew to Petersburg. So the poles hold many different utilities. The the, the very top rung is SEPA's transmission line, a 69,000-volt line. Um, and then the, the borough has a circuit on there carrying 24,000 volts. And uh, below that, there are um, telecommunication lines, um, AP&T, 
had um, a brand new fiber line that was just uh, run this last summer from one end of the island to the other that unfortunately had to be cut to facilitate the cleanup. Internet? Uh, it's it's data and phone, I think. Um, APNT offers both services. And uh, GCI also had infrastructure on those poles as well. So their their cable had to be cut in addition to APNT's just to facilitate the repair. It was a small slide. There was a lot of damage to infrastructure. Is yeah. that typical? Was it just kind of like a, a, a very, very bad luck? It was definitely bad luck. Um, the, that area in question has seen some some pretty significant slides over the last you know 10 15 years so that area in itself is is not a very stable slope um that said all those other slides that i mentioned did not impact the power um, at all and there were some pretty significant slides so this one unfortunately was closer to the road and uh, came across the highway and one of those SEPA poles was just dead center right in the middle of that that slope that failed. So it is some bad luck for certain. Is there anything that you all see that you would do moving forward differently? It's part of the risk of having a, a power line in southeast Alaska. You know, it really is, and, and unfortunately, that's the way it is. When, when lines are built, um, the engineers do look at terrain and they try to place poles and structures in, in locations where they won't be subject to this type of thing. But unfortunately, in some areas, you know, that are just prone to slides, um, it's going to happen. So um, is there anything else that you feel like is important to share? I, I as, as always, it seems that when, when issues like this happen, when, when, when slides occur and property damage occurs, it's, it's just amazing that... Um, Small towns like Petersburg pull together and and help each other and and the, the kindness is fantastic. The the effort that goes into the restoration is huge, and and the crews um, um, they really work hard to get everybody back in power. That was Carl Hagerman, the utility director for the Petersburg Borough, speaking with Rachel Cassandra. Hagerman says the Petersburg Municipal Power and Lights diesel generator powered the town for 30 hours, but residents will not see any price hikes. Utility providers will fully absorb that cost. Power has now been fully restored to the island. Wrangell officials have estimated the community has around a quarter of a billion dollars of infrastructure needs, so leveraging funding is an important part of community upkeep. As Sage Smiley reports, they're looking for feedback from the public on what they think are priorities. Wrangell Borough officials held a town hall meeting Tuesday to go over infrastructure priorities. There are pages worth of options. Capital Facilities Director Amber Al-Haddad said in the 12 years she's been working with the borough, it's the first meeting of its kind the local government has held. Um, what we'd like to ask is that the public provide input on our priority list as well as just taking a, list, a look at our, our master list overall. She says the community's capital improvement project's priority list encompasses the most pressing infrastructure needs in the community, either repairs or new builds valued at or over $25,000. And letting us know if we miss something. You know, is there a need that the community has that we don't have listed on this list? Um, or ideas for modifying or looking at things from a different approach. Um, we, would, we would love to have the community's input um, in all of those 
Al-Haddad explains the borough uses the priority list to go after outside funding, a variety of private, state, and federal grants and loans. Tens of millions of dollars in outside funding are currently being used for projects from the harbors to recreational trails and water treatment. At the top of the draft priority list for the coming fiscal year is a bypass project that would connect Wrangell's water treatment plant to one of the open-air reservoirs above town. It's a project that's critical for the community to be able to do repairs on dams or have alternate water flow during a drought period. Wrangell received a federal appropriation of just over $2 million toward that project earlier this year, but funding is still about $1.5 million short. The number two priority on the draft list is structural repairs to Wrangell's public safety building, a project estimated to cost over $16 million. Voters recently rejected an $8.5 million bond measure aimed at beginning that repair process, and borough manager Jeff Good says the community could be in danger of losing its courthouse, jail facility, and other public services if repairs are put off much longer. There are services that we provide in that building that we still need to provide. And we can't do it fairly anywhere else. Other priorities include initial development of Alder Top Village Subdivision, a planned residential housing area at the site of the former Bureau of Indian Education boarding school. Borough officials say that could help ease the housing crush in town. There are also upgrades to the wastewater treatment and water treatment plants and systems on the list, as well as work on harbors in Wrangell and Myers Chuck, roads and sidewalks projects, stabilizing the town's drinking water dams, and connecting Spur Road to Zamovia Highway via Pats Lake. In total, there are 20 projects on the priority list. Al-Haddad says there are a number of factors the borough uses to determine what goes on the priority list and what ranking a project receives. We look at first um, the risk to health, safety, and environmental of our community, identifying projects as priority. We also look at asset condition and as longevity of that asset. We look at community investment and economic prosperity as well, um, what that driving force is for the community at all. She says a good example is a needed replacement for the community's downtown barge ramp. Almost all of Wrangell's goods and food come across that ramp, so it's a vital lifeline for the community. Another one is sustainability sustainability and conservation. Um, does it improve the health of our communities and the natural environment? We look at project readiness. You know, what phase of the project are we in? Have we done some planning already? Or do we have design done for a project? Uh, and ready for construction. Um, and then we look at the funding availability. Um, what grants are out there to um, meet the needs of our, our projects and also have an area with the objectives of those grant, grant programs. While there wasn't a huge turnout at the Tuesday meeting, borough officials say they hope community members will review the list of projects online and provide feedback. Mayor Patty Gilbert, elected last month, has stated transparency about capital projects in progress is one of her priorities for the borough. At her urging, reports from borough manager Good to the Assembly are republished on a new page on Wrangell's website. Those reports include biweekly updates to capital projects in the borough. Wrangell's Assembly will hear and discuss the proposed priority projects at their scheduled meeting November 8th. Al-Haddad says with feedback from the Assembly and community, her department will bring a final priorities list to the borough for approval in early December. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. And you can find the full proposed CIP list and a community feedback survey at wrangell.com on the Capital Facilities page.
Local police and Alaska State Troopers responded to Lathrop High School in Fairbanks uh, yesterday for what turned out to be a fake active shooter report. Fairbanks Police Department spokesperson Teal Soden said they were alerted just before 2 p.m. about something happening at the school. FPD received a 911 call from someone who reported that there was an active shooter at Lathrop High School and that uh, students had been shot. FPD, as well as other area law enforcement officers, immediately responded to the school. Um, They cleared the school. There was no confirmation that there was any active shooter or that there were any injuries. At this time, it appears to have been a hoax call. According to a message sent out by Fairbanks North Star Borough School District Chief Administrator Karen Moline, Lathrop High, as well as nearby Hunter Elementary, Ryan Middle, and Barnett Magnet School were all locked down, and students and staff remained in classrooms until law enforcement finished clearing Lathrop of any threat. A fuzzy video shared on social media appears to show police detaining someone. Soden confirms that Fairbanks Police Department officers encountered a student as they entered the school and that he was checked for firearms and put into a secure classroom. She says the student was not handcuffed or otherwise restrained and that the same thing happened with a couple of other students. It is illegal to make a fake 911 call and Soden says the hoax shooter call is being investigated. It may depend on the carrier or if the person has um, found a way to block their phone number. But generally speaking, if somebody called here locally from a cell phone, there's a pretty good um, chance that, you know, if their phone number is not blocked, there's a pretty good chance that um, they could see where they're at. But at this point, it doesn't, you know, there's no indication or or, um, proof right now that it was even a local call. Soden says the investigation will likely be turned over to the FBI. Anchorage police responded to a similar hoax call about an active shooter at Eagle River High School yesterday afternoon. And similar fake shooter or bomb threat calls have been happening around the country. A national public radio investigation found reports of threat calls targeting 182 schools in 28 states between September 13th and October 21st. NPR also reported a similar spate of false threat calls in March and April were traced to an Internet phone number tied to IP addresses in Ethiopia. The report points out the danger of making threat calls that are fake, a practice known as swatting, as it can result in law enforcement entering schools or other locations with their guns drawn. That wraps up the news portion of Midday Magazine for this Thursday, the 3rd of November.